Hello. Now, some of you have noticed that, like, from time to time, I will play music up on stage. I will play music. I love playing music. And I've played the bass, I've played the guitar, and um, I've played the mandolin, okay? This is a mandolin. A lot of people think it's a ukulele, but instead, it's a, it's a mandolin. Um, and so, you know, it's got eight strings. Um, it, it's really pretty. Pretty sounding. Does not sound like a ukulele at all. In fact, I brought a ukulele to show you what every ukulele looks like. Um, and that's one of these. Okay? So you know. This is a, a what? And this is a... Great. That does it for the session. Let's pray. All right. This is a mandolin. Now, um, everybody calls it a ukulele. It's a mandolin. All right. Now, I, I, this is my first instrument. I picked this up first. I, I wanted to be different, and um, I wanted to seem like a giant. Um, so I, I picked up the mandolin to start playing, and I, I really enjoy playing mandolin. I, I played for this little tiny church where I grew up in Gypsum, Colorado. And um, when I went to college, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, like, play for the church that I, I went to there. And the church that I went to in Greeley was called Christ Community Church, and it was about like three quarters the size um, of this church, Fellowship Church as a whole. So like the, their auditorium, their main like adult church, big church was a little bit smaller, but still a good size stage, a lot of seats. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill out a little volunteer card and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put, it, put it in there. And I'm just like, I play the mandolin. And like the next day, the head worship pastor, all right, that would be like Amanda Biltman, call me up and, and just, and be like, we, we love the mandolin. We want you to come try out. I'm like, well, I'm in. All right. Now, granted, I, I grew up playing in front of like 20 people, okay? 20 people. Now I'm going to be playing in front of like, like 1,000 a weekend, okay? Like it's, it's, a, it's a big step up. And so they said, well, come to our, to our additions. And I played sports all growing up, so I've, I've went to tryouts. Like I know how to do that, but I've never played like to get a spot before. And I know like Sean and, and Nick, you've probably played for like hundreds of different positions and stuff, but I've never done this before. So I'm like, I'm gonna treat it like a job interview. And so like I dressed up like really nice. I had, I had khakis, I had a button up shirt tucked in and I walk into this room and it was like a smaller room in the church. And I walk into this room and everybody else is wearing shorts and flip flops and t-shirts. And so I'm like, immediately, like, I was like, I look like I'm coming from a wedding. And so I was like, maybe I can say that, but it was a Thursday. And so I was like, I probably can't do that, nor should I lie in church, right? And so I'm super overdressed, and I immediately start to think in my, in my mind that I just don't belong here. Like, you ever, ever feel that before of just like, I just look out of place, all right? I've got used to that feeling over the years, but I think that that when I was in that room, I already, my nerves already started getting a little bit elevated because I was like dressed like I was going to a wedding. And then I was unaware that they were exclusively looking for like John Mayer to play guitar for them um, because John Mayer's a really good guitarist. He's like the Ed Sheeran, except he actually can play. Um, and I think Ed Sheeran's actually pretty solid. But um, like these guitar players that were in this auditions, because there's piano players and stuff too, were phenomenal. I was like, I didn't even know music could sound like that. Like, it was crazy. They were super good. And, and then this guy in the back, the lead pastor's yelling out, can you play that in A? And I was like, is that like a grade? 
Like, a, a is a key. Like, this is an A. That, all right? And, like, that means, like, that's, like, the, the kind of the, that's the realm of the sounds. I don't know how to describe this to you. <laughs> anyway, let me, he's, you know, not these things that I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I'm like, well, that's guitar stuff, I'm sure, right? And so I get up there, and I immediately feel out of place. And, and then I get, like, upset, or up there, and I'm set up, and everybody else sang because while they played, and I don't sing, and I wasn't about to cross that threshold, <laughs> all right? If any of you have, like, and some, I was singing loud tonight, or today already, so I apologize for those of you that are in front of me. I don't apologize, I was worshiping, but, like, I just, I'm just, I can hear that I'm off, and I can't fix it, so I'm just like, oh, well, <laughs> and I just keep singing, okay? That's how I work, and so I just tell them straight up. I'm like, I... I can't, I'm not going to sing. I'm not here to sing. I'm just here to play. And they're like, okay. So then, no joke, this was, this was my audition. I did, I did, do you know how like songs last like six minutes? Yeah, I did all the verses and all the choruses and the bridge. Just no words. Like, it was bad, y'all. It was really, really bad. And in fact, um, everybody else, I could see their faces. And you know, like, when you just know you're not doing good? And, like, your start, heart starts racing and stuff. Like, it was really, really bad. So then afterward, he's like, mandolin, stick around with one of the guitar players that I'm sure went on tour with somebody. Um, stayed. And he's like, all right, we're going to play in A. And I was like, I know an A. Is that all you wanted, or can I go now? <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. It was so bad. And what, what, really, what really shook me about this whole thing, thank you guys, you can take the mandolin and the other instrument away. <laughs> what really shook me about this whole thing is this overwhelming sense that I did not belong on that stage. And honestly, it shook me. It shook me. Now, two weeks later, I got this letter in the mail saying, yeah, you didn't make it. And I was like, well, duh. And, but, and then it gave me a list of all the stuff that I needed to work on to be able to get back to that place. And, and it, it honestly hurt my heart. And at that point in time in my life, um, I was really, really thinking that I might be, like, I wanted to, like, work at a church. And that sense that I didn't belong and the shame that I felt from from turning in the, the terrible audition shook me so much that I, I honestly walked away from God for a little while. It shook me so much. And I didn't know that like, and, and who, who knows, like I'm so thankful for Jesus that I'm here being able to talk to you from the stage today. But I felt so ashamed, so ashamed. And what shame does is it shakes our sense of belonging, our sense to fit in. And that's what I wanna talk to you about this afternoon is this need in life to belong. Now, science tells us a lot about the subject, and there's so many studies out there that have nothing to do with Christianity, but they still found kind of the same things the Bible talks about. I think that's really cool when people that don't even know God study, like, thousands of people in different people groups and different ethnicities and all sorts of different places around the planet, and they come up with the same stuff the Bible says. Like, that's how it works, okay? Science proves what God actually designed, all right? And so... This idea of shame and belonging, there's been some really cool studies about this. And 
this is what um, it's talking about. It says that every single person on the planet, the reason why we're here is for connection. Like to be connected. Connection uh, gives us purpose. Uh, the, it gives us the ability to think and know that we belong, that we fit in. It's about connection. And the Bible talks about that connection with God and that connection with other people and how that fits in and how we fit into that. Now, science tells us that developmentally in the first 12 to 18 months of our lives, our primary focus is committed to the exploration and experience of just joy. Now, I'm talking like from zero, like age zero, like still sticky, right? And <laughs> All right? Two to about 18 months it's about 18 months old, the, the only experience, the only experience that, that babies are trying to go for is to experience joy, or is to experience joy. Now, what, why joy? Like, how do you experience joy? Joy has no on or off switch. It just is. Like, you can be kind of happy. Like, ah, oh, that, that, that doesn't make me that happy. Right? I'm not very happy about that. Those are expressions that we have. But we're not like, I'm not that joyous about that. Like, that's, that's not how it works. Joy has no on or off switch. And the sense of belonging, like, if you know that you fit in, joy is rampant in you. Like, rampant. All right? It's easy to, to make jokes. It's easy to, to, to be who, you know, you are, who God made you to be in this aspect of joy. Now, What's crazy is something else science tell, has found about joy is it's the single most powerful emotional experience that people can have. Even greater than the emotional experience of sex is joy. Like science found that out, that, that joy, the joy, and I honestly, I'm gonna just like take this, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is the most powerful emotional experience that we can have. It's really awesome. Now, what does this mean? Take, so take my daughter, for instance. She's 18 months old right now. And according to what research on this subject says is that my daughter's primary focus is committed to the exploration of joy. And I'm not surprised. I took some pictures and we put them up of, let's get the first one up. This is my baby. She was, oh goodness, where's my wife? How old is she in that? Like a year? Is that fall? She's wearing Manning still. So it was that year. She is so smiley. She's so smiley. So she's, uh, and, and something that, that I've, I've named her in my heart, she's, her name is Ruby, all right? And I call her my precious gem of joyous faith. Uh, her middle name is Faith. Look at her. Just fitting in and belonging. That's her car. She, I think she actually fell right after that. Um, <laughs> there she is on uh, Red, White, and Cute. That was the 4th of July. But you can see in her face that like joy is just in her, like that's all she wants. And yeah, that was just last weekend. She's a rock star, she's a rock star. And what's awesome is like almost every, every one of these pictures someone else took and it was either me or Robin. Like she, she knew she belonged. Like we make sure that we know our daughter belongs. No joke, good, good father's playing in the background right now and she worships, she does. She puts her arms up like this and does this because she sees her mom and dad do that sort of stuff in the house. Um, here's one with somebody else not fitting in. Um, that's Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy doesn't belong in that picture, does he? He, doesn't, he feels at risk. Um, <laughs> my baby's cool. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's funny. But at some point, 
At some point, something changes. This is this morning, her picture of her this morning. <laughs> she, was, she was a little sad this morning. But how does my daughter feel the most joy? It's when she belongs in any given moment in time, when she feels like she belongs. Because babies are just, and I think the, the, the deepest parts of heart, our hearts are just looking for someone looking for us. Is that the truth? Like down, even, even guys, right? Like if we really boil it down, like we're just looking for someone looking for us, even if it's one of our bros or, or somebody else. Like if someone's looking for us and excited to see us, like that is where we know that we belong. But somewhere down the line, something changes. We lose our sense of belonging. And then what happens to our lives? What happens to our faith? What happens to our joy? Jesus tells a parable about some people that believe that not everyone belongs at the table of God. There's these guys, these, called, these, these dudes called Pharisees and they're religious leaders and basically they come up to Jesus and be like, Jesus, you keep hanging out with like, like prostitutes and tax collectors, which are like crazy dudes that like steal everybody's money and all this stuff and, and you hang out with like the scum of the earth. Like they don't belong at God's table. Like why are you hanging out with these people? And Jesus tells them this parable. And this parable is kind of like a riddle in a story. And I'm gonna read this whole thing through. So I want you to just like read it along with me on these side screens. I really wanna try, to, I want you to try and picture this. This is in Luke chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse 11. So this is Jesus talking. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now about that time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even a hired servants had food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I'm gonna go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your, your brother's back, he was told. And your father's killed the fattened calf. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast. 
with my friends. Yet this son of yours that comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is already yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So just like this parable, I am kind of like the father. I have two girls, so a little bit different. Um, they're like crazy cute, kind of like Ruby. Um, I think we have a picture of mine. Y'all, they're like, I, don't, I, I mean, I'm like a super proud mom. They're like, I don't know how they got so cute from Curtis and I, but I mean, they're so cute. Um, so, so, I, so every night at dinner, I'm like, hey, Ava, what was the best part of your night? And, and she'll literally have like gone to Starbucks for breakfast, then like the bump and jumps, and then Chick-fil-A for lunch, and then get air in the afternoon. Like best day ever, right, for a four-year-old. And um, every single time her answer is, when you came home, or when dad came home. I'm not kidding. And I'm like, I think she really means it. I really think that I'm like her favorite part of the day. It's like, it's so sweet. Or like my two and a half year old Adley, she, um, she's learning to talk. She's two and a half. And, and I mean, like y'all should hang out with some two year olds. They are the funniest little humans on the planet, I swear. So, so our thing with Adley right now, um, she'll look at Ava and we'll be like, Hey, who's this? And she'll say, my sister, and we'll say, and what is she to you? And she'll go, she's special for me, <laughs> saying she's special for me. <laughs> it's so cute. Or she'll like randomly just be like, mom, I love you so much. I'm just like, <laughs> what do you want? I'll give it to you. Like, they're just like, I'm not kidding. I like, they are my whole world right now. Like, if I'm going to have fun, I'm hanging out with them. Like, that's why they're just like, they're my, my, they're my party right now. They're, they're, so, they're so much fun. Um, so, so kind of like this parable, um, life's a little bit different now. We don't, not as many people work on farms working the land or like with pigs or goats. And so um, what would this parable look like today? Say maybe from my perspective. Adley turns 18. She, she graduates top of her class. She comes to me and she says, Mom, I want my college savings. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go to Vegas with my boyfriend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do my thing. Okay. So off she goes. She packs her bags in her boyfriend's car and I don't hear from her again. She gets to Vegas. She breaks up with her boyfriend. She's just using him for a ride. She um, rents a, a suite at the MGM Grand. She goes on a crazy shopping spree, spends an insane amount of money. She gets a fake ID because she's not 18 yet. She starts getting into clubs. She's got the look. She's got her fake ID. Starts drinking pretty, pretty a lot. Um, it's fun. She's having a good time, right? It's, you know. Cool. She starts drinking a little bit more until um, she starts blacking out. She doesn't really remember what happened the night before. Pretty soon she's like, oh, I'm kind of bored with that. Maybe I'll, I'll try some marijuana. I don't know. Maybe that's not really fun anymore. Maybe I'll try some cocaine. 
she's partying pretty hard. She, she's, she's in a pretty bad place, living pretty foolishly. So that kind of, she starts to feel a little bit empty. Um, there's a little bit of like emptiness and heaviness and maybe a little depression of, huh, I don't really feel very good about myself. So she's like, maybe, maybe a guy would like fill that for me, that like void and emptiness I'm feeling. So she starts sleeping around, different guy every, every week. They're horrible to her. They're just using her for sex, for money. That, that weight of, of shame from her sin starts to weigh pretty heavy. And because of her lack of restraint, because of her foolish lifestyle, she runs out of money. She's got nothing left. No more nice hotel, no more nice things. Her friends are nowhere to be found. She's broke. She has nothing. Now she's homeless. She has nowhere to go. My baby. Nowhere to go. She thinks, hmm, maybe I could get a job at like KFC, fried chicken is her favorite. I'll try and, I could get some food there, right? So she goes and she gets a job at KFC and she's, she's doing some dishes and she's like, man, that leftover chicken on the bone looks good. That soggy roll, I, I would, I'd probably eat that right now. Like she has this like pain from hunger she has never felt before. It's like horrible, horrible pain from so much hunger. Those soggy mashed potatoes look good. And as she's like digging through the trash, she, she really can't even get anything. There's like, she can't get any trash. But in that, in that moment of that brokenness and that emptiness and like shame and like I'm, she's literally digging through the trash for food, she, she has a memory of her mom and how her mom used to make her delicious fried chicken. And she begins to remember what the house smelled like when the rolls were baking in the oven. She kind of like has this come to moment, a little bit of like come to her senses of maybe, maybe my mom would hire me. I could like work for her. I could go home. I could clean her house. I could run her errands. I could like do stuff around the yard. Maybe my mom would, would let me just like, I don't know, maybe I could even just live in the garage. I, I know I'm not worthy to live in the house anymore. So she's like, okay. She gets her money from that day, from, from working. She goes straight to the bus stop. She gets her ticket. She, she rides a horribly uncomfortable bus all the way um, to Grand Junction. She pulls into Junction. Um, she has to get on the GVT because the, G, the Greyhound doesn't come all the way out to Fruta. So she gets on the GVT. She, she gets down the street from her house. And, and the whole way home, she's been, like, wrestling inside of herself. Okay, what am I going to tell my mom? Like, I have, like, completely screwed up. I am, like, at, like, the lowest low I've ever been. I've wasted everything. I am, like, completely lost in, in sin. And I've, I've been drinking. I've been doing drugs. I've been sleeping around. Oh, my goodness, what is my mom going to say? And she gets, she gets off, and she's like, wait, I can't go back there. I don't deserve forgiveness. I can't. They're never going to accept this ugly, hot mess I've become. Right? And she turns and the bus is already gone. Okay? So she starts walking down the street. 
completely empty-handed. She's broke. She has nothing. She's really thin from all, all the partying. She hasn't eaten in a while. She's really hungry. She's really filthy. She hasn't showered in days. She's wearing t-shirt shorts and flip-flops. She's thinking, what am I going to say? I don't deserve anything. And there's something, a small voice inside of her slightly outweighing that very, very loud, shameful voice that's calling her home. So she turns the corner to, to the street where her house is on. I haven't seen or heard from Adley in months. I have no idea where she's been or what she's been doing. And I'm outside. And I see her. She's coming down the street. And I begin to, like, freak out. Like, I am sprinting with every, like, muscle in my entire body to get that girl in my arms. Like, I cannot get her in my arms fast enough, right? I, I'm, I'm running as fast as my legs can possibly go. And I get to her. And I'm just hugging her. And she's, like, trying to say something about how she's sorry. And I don't have a, a clue what she's saying. I'm just like, I can't quit kissing that sweet little face. I can't quit hugging her. I kind of, like pull her away. To me, she's perfect. She's beautiful in every sense of the word. Her hazel eyes just beaming, her sweet little blonde hair just blowing in the wind. She's a spitting image of her father, made in his image and in his likeness. So, so I have her, she's back, she's back where she belongs. So we go home and, and I start a bubble bath for her and I get out her favorite outfit, her favorite jewelry, her favorite Nike. She's like, I'm like ready for her to go, right? And I'm in the kitchen and I'm making her favorite fried chicken, right? It, it's going in the pan, I got the mashed potatoes, I'm like whipping them up and I'm like calling every person I can possibly think of, you gotta come over, like right now, Adley's home. Adley came home. I'm like freaking out with all that is in me that my daughter came home, right? So I'm calling everyone, come to this party. Come on, we're going to celebrate my baby's home. Adley's back where she belongs. Yeah. What about Ava? Ava's 20 now. Ava has a really good job. She's really, really smart. She's worked really hard for that job. So she comes home from a really long, hard day at work. It was, it was a really hard day. She pulls in the driveway and she's like, what is happening? There are cars all over our street and our driveway. There are people everywhere. She's like, what is going on? I'm so confused, there's loud music, there's clearly a party, and I'm not quite sure I was invited. What is happening? So she walks in the front door, and, and she's like, she grabs a family friend, and she's like, hey, what is going on? And they're like, you haven't heard? Your sister came home today, we're having a huge party! We're, we're almost ready to eat fried chicken. Let, let's go party. And he was like, hmm? You, you mean my sister that's been out doing who knows what? Ava's mad. She's like, no. Mm -mm. She walks out the front door, slams it behind her. She's sitting on her porch. I'm in the back, but I see her. 
I see she's pretty angry. So I go out to her and I'm like, Ava, come in. Adley finally came home. We have to celebrate. We have to have a party. She won't listen to me. Mom, I have been here with you the entire time. I never left you. I've been working so hard. I got a job. I got a career. I'm making good money. Like, I, I'm doing all these things. I've been checking every good daughter box there could possibly be. I never argued with you. I was perfect. I never went out and partied or slept around. Like, I've been doing everything perfect. Is that not good enough for you? Are my good decisions, is my, like, all of these things I've been doing, is that not enough for you? She's so mad. I don't get mad at her. I don't accuse her or yell or anything. I say, Ava, you've been with me the whole time. Everything I have is already yours. You own it. This is your house. These are your blessings. Everything I have is yours. Please, come into the party. Come to this party. I'm going to end like Jesus did in that parable. We don't know what happens. Does the older brother go in? I don't know. I think it's really interesting that we don't know the ending to that story. At some point in this story, both of my girls felt like they were on the outside, like they didn't belong, right? Mm -hmm. Adley was so ashamed of her sin, and Ava so lost in confusion and this striving. But the focus actually isn't the sin or the perfection in the story. The story is actually about me and my heart for my girls. That's what this story is about. So first, let's look at Adley. Okay, despite the shame Adley had felt from her sin, the truth is that's not how I felt about her. I wonder how many of you can relate. How many of you have a, a sister or a brother, or maybe that's been you. Maybe you've experienced that yourself where you've run pretty far into rebellion away. We lose our sense of belonging when that shame and that sin comes in. See, Adley was an ugly, hot mess in the world's eyes. Not in mine. She never once lost that sense of belonging to me. That's how the Father sees us. He sees us how we actually are, eternal, clothed in his righteousness and his perfection. That's how, he, that's how he looks at us. He sees all of us. He sees us in our brokenness, like our truest, truest self that maybe no one else knows. And he loves us all the same. He loves us all the more for it. I can relate to the father in the story because I'm a mom. And I will tell you the truth that every part of my being would not be thinking about all the horrible things Adley did, every part of my being would be saying, please come home. Daughter, son, please come home. Please come home to me where you belong. The father's saying, come home. Now what about Ava? I imagine some of you can relate to Ava in this story. 
you've been doing good. You, you really haven't been messing up in, in like these significant sins. You, you've, been, you've been going to church. You've been reading your Bible. You've been praying. You've been doing all these really good things. Maybe checking all these, these boxes off. I did this. I did this. I wonder if maybe some of us are trying to earn something that we already have. Ava already had everything she needed. She had all of me. She had my presence. She had my provision. So what's really happening in Ava in this moment? Why is she so mad? Ava's comparing herself to, to Adley. Why? Why is my mom throwing her this big party? That, that makes no sense. Have you ever experienced that kind of like comparison that ends up leading to jealousy, anger. Like maybe God loves that person more. He's showing them more attention, so it seems. He's like, seems super pumped that that lost person came home, but I've been there here the whole time and he's not throwing me a party. I've been there. Comparison will kill your sense of belonging. It will absolutely kill that fact that you do fit in, that you do belong. Comparison will kill that. Okay, like, like what if someone gets a new, new car or a new phone and you're like, hey, I want that. Why, can't, why didn't I get that? Maybe God loves them more. They got a new car. That's like so awesome. Right, we start comparing. Then we kind of get jealous of this other person because they got something we wanted. Or, or like, <laughs> this is me, um, I, and I think I've said this before, but I didn't decide my major in college till I was um, halfway through my sophomore year when they said, you can't continue to go to school until you choose a major, <laughs> right? My best friend's going to be a teacher. My other best friend's going to be a nurse. They, like, know what they're doing, and I'm like, Lord, have you forgotten about me? Do you forget to, like, tell me what to do with my life? Because I have no idea. Or like, um, this was also me. Um, you know those like two best friends? It's like, they're this and you, you like don't sell, like you can't separate them. They're just like always together. And, and you all know those like two best friends, right? Um, I was always like the third one that tried to like slip myself in, <laughs> right? Um, I moved around a lot. So like I, I was thinking about it um, and I have a list of actual people um, so like in third grade, it was Gianna and Lindsay, and I just tried to insert myself into their best friendhood, but third wills don't really belong, right? Um, Haley, Amanda, Ashley, Corley, Amanda and Becca, Kaylee and Allie. I'm not kidding. These are real people, and they're all my good friends or, or were at some point. I was always the third one. <sighs> right? You, you guys can relate. But despite what's happening in Ava in this moment of comparison and anger and jealousy, I still love her. She still belongs with me. I saw her right where she was. My attention wasn't so much on Adley that I for one second forgot about Ava. I came to her in her brokenness. Thank God. His love for us doesn't depend on us. His love for us doesn't depend on what we do or what we don't do. His love is not conditional. And I think sometimes we love ourselves 
where we let God love us conditionally based on if we were good or bad. That's not how it works. It's irrelevant to the Father what we do or don't do. What the Father cares about is for us to be connected in relationship to him, to sit at this table with the Father. That's what he cares about. See, the truth is the Father's love is not confined to our human comprehension. His love is limitless. It's not confined to time or space. There isn't a place where his love Mm -hmm. runs out. God is infinite and his attention is on all of us at the same time. Somehow, we are each his favorite, no matter where we are or what we've done. In my version of the story, Ava and Adley are in two completely different places. One is lost in sin, one is lost in this idea of perfection, this striving. Two completely different places. They have one thing in common, they're both wrong. Neither one of the the siblings in this are, are in the right place. Um... I still come to both of them. I ran my little heart out as fast as my legs could go to get Adley in my arms. I saw Ava in her anger and in her hurt. I saw her and I went to her. The Father's coming for you. The Father's heart, his plan, his longing for each of us is to come sit at his table, connect with him right here. This is where we find our belonging. This is where we have that connection place that Will was talking about. It's our belonging with our Father at this table. My heart's always gonna be for my girls to belong with me. Again, it's really interesting that we don't know the end of the story. We don't know if Ava comes in or not. I like to hope she would have chose the party, that she chose belonging. You have a choice too. The Father's coming for you. What will you choose? The fact is, there is a table with the Father, with Jesus. And you are invited to this party, this party. And there has been a place that has been set for you from the beginning of time a place at the table with you, the Father, sitting next to Jesus. I don't know if the Holy Spirit sits in his chair or what, right? (laughs) Maybe hovers over it. I don't know how it works. But there's a party, y'all. There's a party that you are invited to, that not only are you invited to, but the party is for you. Whether you identify with the, 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 the prodigal or the, the first brother that goes away and is lost and comes back, or you identify with the older brother, the party is still for you. The Father is calling you in. Come into the party. Come into the party. Seeing what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, I want us to take a, a really good look at ourselves. Like, who do we identify with the most? Younger brother, lost, far away, and in shame? Or the older brother, stubborn and unwilling to just come in to something that he was already in? It's already his. Each and every one of us is born with a want to belong, to fit in, to be a part of something. And whether you want to admit it or not, that's something that we have in the deepest parts of our hearts. Just to belong, to have a place with your name on it. Just something more for our hearts than any other person can say or do for us. 
There's something the enemy tells us as soon as we hear these words, that this is for you. This table, this place setting is for you. Something the enemy immediately tells us is that you're not worth it. You're not worth sitting at this table. Well, Jesus himself speaks to these people, all right? When he gave the most important and best sermon in history, all right, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has like all these dudes, all these people all up the, this mountainside. He sits them all down and he gives us the most powerful teaching, the most revolutionary teaching of the time, all right? And it is still like the basis for so much doctrine, so much theology, and it's the most important, most important sermon ever spoken. And I'm gonna just share with you the first sentence that he says. First sentence, Matthew 5, 3, the Sermon on the, on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some theologians say that this is the most important thing in, said in all of humanity. So let's read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is this saying? This is saying that God, he is particularly with the broke. He's particularly with the bankrupt. He's, the kingdom of heaven is particularly with you who are from broken homes, are from tragedy, have death in your life, have a whole bunch of strife, a whole bunch of heartache. When you are poor in spirit, the table is particularly for you. Wherever you are, wherever you come from, whatever it is, if you are poor in spirit, Jesus is saying, yeah, it's particularly for you. I mean, that's revolutionary. That's crazy. It's like, if you have any doubt about like, I'm not worth that table, Jesus sees you where you are right now. He sees you where you are right now. And he says, oh yeah, it's particularly for you. Because remember the beginning of that parable, all these dudes were just like, why are you hanging out with like the scum of the earth and all this stuff? Why are you hanging out with people that sin? Because Jesus came for them too. He came for you too. And maybe you're not like crazy, but he's like, maybe I got a lot of stuff for me and everything like that. But I want to just share with you this promise, all right? What really stops us coming into the party? What if we're on the porch and we're just too stubborn to come in? The biggest obstacle, obviously, we've been talking about it, is shame. Shame drops our head from looking at the table when we compare ourselves to other people. We compare our relationships to God and other people. We look at ourselves and we say, oh, man, we're not, I'm not as good as he is. I mean, myself, I mean, last night the enemy tried to creep in my heart of like, JL preached a wonderful sermon last night, had the word of God in her heart. I was like, I'm not as good as that. Yeah. I'm telling you, Satan tried to get me away from the table. He tried to get me away from it. But this promise of this table was from the beginning of time as well. Adam and Eve, from the first Sin, Adam and Eve, they're in this garden, they're in this place, they're walking with God. They're walking with God, and I mean, they're giving each other high fives and throwing footballs, I don't know, like, straight up, like, God the Father, like, all of God. The Bible talks about that if you're in the presence of God after this first sin happened, you die, because he's perfect and we're not. But before that came, I mean, Adam and Eve are walking with God in the garden. If that's not a party, I don't know what is. I mean, the presence of absolute joy, the presence of absolute peace and glory and wonderful, like it's just crazy town. And then something happens, something happens. Eve is, is in the garden and the only thing that God said to Adam and Eve not to do is don't eat what? The apple, right? It just says fruit. I know why we chose apple, but like 
the fruit, the fruit of this one tree, the fruit of this one tree. They, they, they picked the fruit and they ate it. And, and the snake, the serpent, convinced Eve that it was good to do, convinced Eve that it was right. Genesis 3, 6 through 8 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Something I always think in my head when I read this story is like, if a snake talks to you, I'd be like, Adam, kill it. <laughs> but she like gets Adam to come over. Like, Look what the snake said. Um, but they were, the thing I want, you, I want you to pull from this is they were convinced. They were convinced by the serpent. Now at that moment they ate the fruit, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt what? Shame. The first response to the first sin was shame. The first response to the first sin was I'm not worthy of the table. I am not worthy of the table. I am so blown away by what God does first. Because right, right here, God can no longer be in the presence of Adam and Eve. He has to kick them out. And I think a lot of people, when you, if you've ever read this through before, you're just like, oh, okay, then God cursed Adam and Eve and like sent them away. No, that's not what God did first. The first thing we did was we were ashamed that we weren't worthy to be at the table. But this is the first thing that God says. God looks to the serpent first and says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel right here. The poet that wrote this, he's talking about this image of a wounded rescuer, that a descendant of Eve, someone that's gonna descend from her line is gonna stomp on the serpent's head, the devil's head, but he will also be bitten. Jesus came to this earth. He lived perfectly. He died. He was bitten. Death got him for three days, but could not hold him down. Could not hold him down. He rose from the dead. So here, the first thing that God does from the beginning isn't to say, oh, you need to leave the garden. The first thing he says is like, I promise I will get you back to this table. I promise I will get you back to the party. There's a party that was the, meant to be from the beginning. So no matter where you're at, if you're on the porch, if you're lost and far away, there's a seat at a table next to Jesus with your name on it. That's the absolute truth. And God promised it from the beginning. So from the beginning of time to now, the goal's been the same. Let's party. Let's party. I'm going to invite the worship team up. God's here and he's talking about you. He's talking about you, not about what you think. And tonight I'm not, I'm not talking like, let's look at our sins and let's look at why we're on the porch. No, I'm saying you belong. You belong at the party. You belong here. Do you feel like coming into the party? Do you feel like you belong? Because tonight, that's what I want to talk about. So right now, we're going we're gonna to clear this table away, and, and we're going to have some orange team kind of lining up um, behind me. And what's going to happen 
what's going to happen is all of, all of our volunteers behind me, they have a place setting with your name on it. A place setting with your name. And we want you to know, and Jesus wants you to know, that there's nothing you've ever done in this entire world, your entire life, that makes you unworthy to sit at the table next to Jesus. There's nothing. And so, what I want to do is I want you to, when I say go, we're gonna stand up and, and you're just basically gonna get in the line. All of this, all these volunteers have letters and it, it's the, whatever your first name starts with, all right? So Rachel, you're gonna go to the one that has R on it. That's simple to know, right? All right, so And what they're gonna do is they're gonna give you the place setting has your name on it. And I want you to think about Jesus writing your name and setting it in front of this immaculate table, this feast, this party, that your name was printed and set there by the Lord himself millions and billions before, before Adam and Eve were even created. Jesus said, oh man, Emily, this is your, your space right next to me. You get to sit right next to me. That's what Jesus says to you. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you've ever said or, or thought or felt that's ever gonna change the way Jesus feels about you, about your heart, because you're worth it. Of time, God promised you the table, and that goes for every single, every single one of you here. All right, so you see, you see the lines, the letters. Some some papers have two letters, some have three. Like, if you're ready to come into the party, and we stand up, you're gonna receive a small blessing in your nameplate. Go ahead, get in line. Get in line. Once you have your nameplate. Just find a spot somewhere in the room, somewhere in the bleachers area, like in where the chairs are, and just start thanking God for this moment. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.